The biggest news in college basketball this past week has been the ascendance of the Michigan Wolverines, but who knows if their run to the title in the battle for Atlantis would have been possible if their former great and now head coach Juwan Howard had not gotten on his knees to wipe up sweat off the floor in the game against Iowa State that helped them advance to a game against North Carolina, which they won, and before they beat Gonzaga on Friday to win the battle for Atlantis, Juwan Howard apparently trying to fire up his team or trying, or maybe just upset that no one else could get the sweat off the floor, got down on his hands and knees with two referees standing near him and another mop guy standing near him and just wiped the sweat off the floor, wiped the water off the floor. Truly impressive effort by Howard, but it's a little embarrassing. I'd be very embarrassed if I were an official. If I were the mop guy, you have like one job the entire game is just to mop the floor, and you don't do it. And here, the head coach, you know, a great college basketball player, is on his hands and knees doing it. Don't you think it's a little, uh, I'd just be like, I'd be ashamed. I might not come to work the next day. Well, as we know, with most referees, they work almost every day, so maybe they're just tired and couldn't get down to wipe the floor up. Maybe they were out late drinking at Atlantis. I hear that's uh, kind of a rollicking good time. Uh, it reminds me, uh, in the history of wiping up the floor by non-officials, uh, kind of, of Daniel Ochefu, who did it in the um, 20, what was that, 2016 NCAA tournament final for Villanova. Uh, late in the game, he wiped up the floor, and then... Immediately, Marcus Page hit a crazy three-pointer to tie the game, but then Villanova with Chris Jenkins hit a three to win it. Um, but yeah, Daniel Ochefu, they were trying to get it cleaned up, and it didn't work, so he got the the mop out, and uh, he did it himself. So um, maybe Juwan Howard is thinking there's something to taking time to mop up the floor as a non-official and winning the national Yeah, titles. the officials appeared in the video to appear to be Burt Smith and Jamie Lucky, who were just standing there. Mm. So... I mean, they, uh, they've they been busy. Let's take a look at Bert Smith. He's eighth ranked in uh, Ken Palm, the Ken Palm officiating rankings, and he has already worked, uh, wow, a lot of games. Uh, 20 <laughs> games in 2019-2020 so far. He did all three games in the Bahamas, and he came back Sunday and worked a St. Louis-Southern Illinois game in, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. So he went from thrill scores of 70.5, 78.4, 76.4, to 21.7. Yeah. By the way, before Atlantis, he did a game, Florida State, Chicago State, and it was a 6.1 thrill score on Ken Palm. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, he probably knew the first <laughs> half. It looks like the, the game wasn't very close. But um, I, the most important thing to come out of that Atlantis tournament, I'm not going to talk about Michigan later, is just the confirmation that Michigan's a basketball school. Oh, yeah. Um, their football team lost to uh, Ohio State for the. Uh, 100th straight year. Eighth straight time. Yeah. And, the last time Michigan beat Ohio State in football, they, um, they actually have only beaten them once. They beat them once since 2003, which is crazy to think about. But um, it's also kind of enjoyable to think about someone who can't stand Michigan. So I'm not, you know, kudos to Juwan Howard taking over John Beeline, getting the team on track, top 10 team. Kudos to, I don't know, Xavier Simpson and winning the battle for Atlantis. But really, let's remember you guys can't be Ohio State in football. Double bonus the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode 
four of season two of the Double Bonus Podcast, along with Brendan Rocher, I'm Tom Borstein, coming to you from the same city, the same time zone, uh, this time, as we... If it were like 1885, it would be a different True. city. Uh, Brooklyn was incorporated in 1898, I believe, so I think that's correct. Yeah, so yeah, same. there's some historical knowledge for you. Uh, we had a busy week in college basketball. It was not uneventful. Double negative. A uh, lot of post, a lot of uh, preseason tournaments, a lot of upsets, a lot of interesting developments. Um, we're going to start off with a bit of breaking news, Brendan, in the Big East, which has been having a disappointing year, which I'm sure we'll get into. Some big Georgetown transfer news, which is not good uh, for the Hoyas. Yeah, just announced. I well, it's unclear what exactly is happening. It's if you read the the release by Georgetown. Well, let's just say what happened first. Josh LeBlanc and uh, James Akinjo, who are uh, two of Georgetown's best players, both sophomores, uh, have announced that they're entering the transfer portal. Um, Georgetown has just lost uh, back-to-back games, one to Duke, um, and then a week later they lost to UNC Greensboro. In that game against UNC Greensboro, Akinjo played 32 minutes and LeBlanc played 11 minutes. It has been disappointing season for LeBlanc relative to expectations. He's considered a potential uh, NBA draft pick um and hasn't he's been fine this year but hasn't been uh anything special has actually regressed a little bit from last year in certain categories all that said um it does appear there's more to the story that perhaps the two players had been suspended for the rest of the season because word of them entering the transfer portal came out around the time that georgetown announced that they were no longer on the team for the rest of the season so it does seem possible or even likely that um they are transferring as a result of some sort of team suspension. Um, so I guess we'll wait to find out more. Regardless, um, you know, this has been obviously a bad weekend for the Hoyas. Uh, they had had a pretty good start to the season. Um, not great, but they had that good win against Texas and played Duke very well in uh, Madison Square Garden. They fell back to earth a little bit with a loss to UNC Greensboro on Saturday. And now, two days later, two of their best players are transferring. And... Um, you know, I guess I'll find out why, but it looks like another Big East team that is um, not going to be in the NCAA tournament after coming to the year with NCAA tournament expectations. We now we've seen this from Georgetown, and also I'll talk about later Providence falls in that category as a team that uh, looks highly unlikely to go to NCAA tournament, and uh, it, it makes you wonder what's next with the Patrick Ewing era, which even two weeks ago seemed to be looking pretty good, and now a couple weeks later is wondering um, whether. There's still life there for a program that has made the NCAA tournament now in three straight seasons under Patrick Ewing and hasn't really sniffed it. Yeah, uh, Patrick Ewing now in his third year. He went 19-14 uh, and 14 last year, 9-9 nine and nine in the Big East after going 15-15 and 15 in his first year, 5-13 uh, and 13 in the Big East. He, of course, took over for John Thompson III, who uh, struggled down the stretch, and it took a while for him to get uh, fired, but he was... Uh, pretty bad those last two years, 15 and 18, 7 and 11, and then 14 and 18, 5 and 13. So he wasn't exactly like – Patrick Ewing, in his defense, did not exactly inherit uh, the Georgetown of the uh, early, I guess, the mid-2000s or the early, like the 2000 to 2010 era when they were Final Four team or Elite Eight team and um, and played really well. So uh, it's been an interesting year for the Big East, a lot of uh, high-profile games that have not gone their way. And we'll see in this team, you know, as it, the players had been a little marginalized, as you said, uh, but we'll see how this affects the uh, Hoyas going forward and the Big East as a whole. 
it's still a long way to go in the college basketball season. So maybe some teams can kind of build their resumes mm -hmm. back up. But uh, the biggest, if you were doing like conference winners and losers in the month of November in the uh, world of college basketball, the biggest probably would be the biggest loser. Uh, yeah, the Big East and uh, the SEC has also yeah. had a rough start, but uh, but I think the Big East has been kind of underratedly worse. Like it's been really quite bad. Um, at least Marquette beat USC over the weekend, um, Creighton Texas Tech, but it, it really has not been. And then DePaul won at Minnesota. DePaul has now won at Minnesota, Iowa, and Boston College. But you know it's not all bad in college basketball. The transfers, you know, Mark Adams, who's at um, Enthusi Adams on Twitter. Uh, one of the things that I like most about um, tweets about athletes, especially, is uh, he uses it here. He says, and I miss, he lists all these players he missed. Uh, mostly, it looks like uh, Missouri Valley players. Like it looks like Tekeli Cotton's there, Seth Tuttle, yeah. Fred Van Vliet. Ron Baker. I do see Sean Kilpatrick from uh, from Cincinnati, Landry Sham at Wichita State. Um, he misses a lot of Farouk Manash, your buddy from Northern Iowa. He definitely misses a lot of of Missouri Valley players, but then he says, after re making this list of uh, former players, he says, what a list of great players and better people. So I, I guess my thought is, I know th I'm not sure about on the show before, but definitely we have in real life, Tom. What are the odds that all of these players who were excellent basketball players, many of them professionals, among the best few hundred players at their sport, what are the odds that these great players are also among the top 200 people? I'm definitely going to rule out Fred Van Fleet, who's having a breakout year for the Raptors. So he is definitely out. He's definitely. I mean, I've never met the guy. Seems yeah. perfect. Could be perfectly nice. Not not better person than he is a basketball player. Landry Shamit, same deal. Yeah. I mean, the all the yeah. ultimate version of this though. I think the one that really got your blood boiling was Katie Ledecky was declared a better person than she is an athlete. She is literally not only the best swimmer in the world, but perhaps at the time, and maybe still is, depending on how you measure it, the most dominant athlete in her discipline in any sport. She was just destroying people. And so, oh, she's a better person. No, there's no, she is not, she, you'd have to be like Mother Teresa on steroids. It would be amazing. It would be yeah. amazing if she were if she were a better Honestly. person than she was a player. Now, maybe... This guy, George Fant, 74. I don't know who that guy is. Let's see. Uh, he is literally named George Fant. He's a football player, apparently. But he plays in the NFL, it looks like. So I'm probably not a better... I guess we're mixing in football players, too, in, in this tweet. But I, he, if he's in the NFL, he's probably not a better person than he is a player, just for the fact of being one of the best, whatever, 800, 1,000, 2,000 football players in the world. So yeah. I'm just saying, maybe don't use that terminology... Uh, because it's just not accurate. But anyway, we, we spent long enough on uh, on ephemera, meaning Georgetown, towels, and um, people being better people than athletes. So let's move on to some of the big college basketball results of the week. And let's start with the biggest one, and that happened uh, in Fairfield, <laughs> Connecticut, where uh, Sacred Heart played uh, vaunted Division three power Pine Manor, winning 101-57. And... Um, in this game, Cameron Parker had 24 assists, which is an all-time NCAA record. Uh, now, in the list of great records in sports history, you know, whether it's, um, I don't know, Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak, um, or, you know, whether it's, I don't know, something out. Terrell Davis rushing for 2,000. I don't know. Who's got the red, most record Eckert, for most Eckert, rushing Eckert, yards? Eric Dickerson, in, 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 I want to say. Eric Dickerson's still number one? Oh, How about Chris that? Johnson. Eric Dickerson. Let's so, let's look this up. Yeah. I'm going to rush your He's in. The record is. 
no, Eric Dickerson, twenty-one. Adrian Peterson, that's correct. How about that? Yeah, Eric Dickerson. So. Uh, if, if you were to rank Eric Dixon 2105, Joe DiMaggio 56 game hitting streaks, and uh, Cameron Parker's 24 assists <laughs> against Division Three Pine Manor, which record do you think will stand the test of time in terms uh, of people remembering the most recent eight years one. from now? Maybe it's recency bias. Yeah. Maybe it's Cameron. Maybe it's Cam's uh, 24 assists. That it's just so fresh in my mind. Such a dramatic performance against a Division Three school, <laughs> with no doubt less. Oh, by the way, just a. I guarantee you there was less scrutiny over the stats in this game because it was a Division Three game. So it's not, I don't think it's technically eligible for a record. So, yeah, in any NCAA game, 24. Trey Young had 22. It's been done multiple times. Uh, they had 33 assists on 42 field goals, which actually, in the world of, like, book-cooking assists, doesn't seem too high. I feel like teams get 75% assists more than that during the, uh, during the season. Um, so, yeah, uh, good for him. Well... One thing is, yeah. so Pine Manor yeah. College, it's Division Three school. So I was, I first thought maybe did Fairfield really go out of its region to bring in a Division Three school to Connecticut to play? Like I'd never heard of Pine Manor College, and I've grown up my whole life in New England and pretty much my whole life in the in the Northeast, except for a couple of years way way at college. Pine Manor College is in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, the same exact town as Boston College, and I'd never heard of it. So how this is like one of the most obscure possible teams you could do this against. It's not like Division Three, like like Williams or Amherst, like some school that has like a uh, notoriety in Division Three, Trinity or Wesleyan or something. They did it against a school I literally have never heard of. Um, in I don't know. That's even, I just, I don't know. No, I, have I'm you ever heard of Pine Manor College? So. It's, in, it's, oh, well, sorry, it's in Mass. But I know, but I'm not from the New England states. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's such yeah. a huge credit to my teammates," anyway. he said. "Like I said last game, they have to make the shot for me to get the assist." Oh, hold on, actually, this brings up a. Uh, yeah. While well, we're on stats here, we can go a little into this rabbit hole. Two, uh, two burning questions. I want to meet the people who decided this. Who decided? This is the um, more questionable decision. Who decided that if there's like you sh- pass the ball to a layup, it's a guy making a layup, he's fouled, and he makes both free throws. There's no assist awarded on that play. Number one. And number two, who decided that if you're fouled in the paint and you make free throws, those free throws don't count as points in the paint? Who, who decided those things? Hmm. Well, the first one, I think, definitely should be um, yeah. an assist. And I I, 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 sure, I guess I was wondering if it was an assist in the NBA, but I guess it's not an assist anywhere. Like, it definitely should be an assist. And two, points in the paint for free throws. I think that the the tricky part about that is that you probably are dividing up points with like points in the paint, three-pointers, mid-range, and free throws as separate categories. And then if you count points in the paint as free throws, or vice versa, then you're kind of doubling up. So I feel like that's probably part of the reason why that's the case. Um, that said, um, there is a case to be made. I, I think definitely the first one is a no-brainer. Um, this, you know, maybe now there's no brainer is allowing arcing or arching on uniforms, <laughs> which was, um, well, instituted by college basketball this year. But, um, but I, but I, the other one is a good one too, that free throws when you're fouled, um, in the paint should count as points in the paint. Certainly when you're fouled in shooting motion, if you're just fouled and like cut in the paint, I don't know if that should count as points in the paint. If you True, like I should be shooting foul. Like uh, the other one that's always interesting is when people show points off turnovers. But you think about it, you could every turnover could be like a travel or like an offensive foul. Like 
I don't see how that's mm -hmm. a, like a live ball turnover. Sure, turning those into points is a skill, but scoring after you inbound the ball after a travel, I'm not sure that's a demonstrable skill. So anyway. Yeah, points of turn is just something that, uh, I mean, Providence has committed a lot of turnovers this weekend, and so I saw that stat a lot. But um, it, it's a kind of a weird stat because usually when they do it, they don't actually tell you how many turnovers a team had unless it's a graphic. Sometimes it'll just be like, oh, that's uh, 15 points off turnovers for College of Charleston compared to only four for Providence. Like, okay, well, how many turnovers do they have? Is it just telling you that this team had a lot of turnovers or is it telling you anything more than that? Like, what's the ratio at which they're converting turnovers into points? And then again, I think the live ball part of the turnover yeah. is, is important to, to know. All right, shall we go to Hawaii? Talk some uh, we go to Hawaii? Maui Invitational? Let's go to Hawaii. I think, yeah. I, by the way, I, I met someone else yesterday whose uh, family is from Kansas. I know all these Kansas people. You should. I, I bet you I could fill a room with people I know from Kansas that I've met in New York. Uh, and then you should be there. You can talking about your love of or of Kansas, uh, although yeah. many of them are Kansas. Yeah. Well, I love of the state of Kansas. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Kansas uh, went to Maui, yeah. beat Chaminade in the first round, which was more excuse just to watch Bill Walton call a basketball game where he's checked out in the first half. Then they beat BYU, 71-56, and then they played a thriller against Dayton. 90-84, they won in overtime. Kansas trailed by as many as eight, I believe, down the stretch in the second half, but rallied. Uh, and then actually led the game until uh, Obi Topin, Topin, I guess, hit a deep three to tie the game uh, with like a couple seconds left. Um, yeah, Kansas trailed 66-58 with 7.30 to go in this game. So, And they rallied to win, and they played a pretty good overtime, almost blew it. Um, and they won the game, uh, 90 to 84. Interestingly, Ken Palm says they've outscored, they outscored the team 17, 14 in overtime, but they won by six. So that seems wrong. Um, uh, oh, I think he might've had the Dayton three pointer at the, maybe it was at okay. the buzzer as part of that overtime. That's, um, that's how I'm reading that. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's wrong, Dotson but I guess and it makes sense. Baji played all 45 minutes of this game. Dotson was amazing. 31 points, 8 of 10 from the line, 4 assists. He did have 6 turnovers, but he played very well the entire game. Uh, Dayton uh, was there because Virginia Tech beat uh, Michigan State and just opened up the bracket very nicely for Kansas, which was going to play Michigan State uh, in the final, but they did not. Dayton, a very good offensive team now. They're 5th in adjusted efficiency in Ken Palm. They're 5-1. and one. Uh, they are outstanding shooting the ball this year so far. So it wasn't like, I know Dayton's not Michigan State, but they are number one in the country in effective field goal percentage, number one in the country in two-point field goal percentage. Uh, they're 34th in the country in three-point percentage. Uh, they were really stroking it from downtown. In this game, they went 16 of 33. Uh, Tobin was one of three. Crutcher was four of nine. Mike Cassell was three of seven. Trey Landers, two of three. So they had... And uh, E.B. Watson was 4 of 8. So they had a lot of guys shooting and making threes, which really tested Kansas' uh, perimeter defense. Um, but I was ha very happy with the way the Jayhawks responded, have responded since losing to Duke, where they turned the ball over every possession. Uh, they now reeled off, so, I think, six straight wins. Um, so good for them. And uh, they have a tough, still have a tough non-conference schedule coming up with trips to Stanford and Villanova. So they are looking pretty good. Um, and it was nice to see them win beat Dayton. It wasn't the test that... Maybe it wasn't the test that Michigan State would have posed, uh, but they should still be happy with how they played in Maui, even though really they played just like two games because the Chaminade game doesn't count. Yeah, Kansas now up to sixth in Ken Palm. They, had, they started 10th there, which is lower than what most people had them in the national polls. 
Um, the defense is maybe one of the better defenses they've had in a while, at least to start the season. Um, they were third in 2016, and since then they haven't been higher than 17th. So playing a bit bigger, if you look at their lineup, um, with um, Tristan Enaruna, uh, so, yes. is that the correct pronunciation? Plus Azabuki and David McCormick, those guys combining to play um, like 1.3 games together, so that's like 50, 52, 55 minutes. Yeah, he hasn't really played as much, yeah. huh? Interesting. Yeah, he's he only played one minute against Dayton, and four minutes against BYU. So maybe he'll pl- start playing more. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because Bill Self doesn't really seem to have a characteristic style. He always to play like to play two bigs um, for a long, long time, and then suddenly, when his when the uh, personnel made it made made it make sense, he started to play a little bit smaller. Uh, back when he had Frank Mason as well as uh, Devontae Graham together. Uh, suddenly they played smaller, but even in the first season when they did that, uh, Perry Ellis was the four and Landon Lucas was the five. Um, and then in 2017, um, that year they played with only really one big because Landon Lucas was the five, um, and then Svi Mahalik was the four and certainly not a big. Uh, so it's like maybe this was a new style for them because the next year they had Svi also at the four with Azabuki at the five. Uh, but then last year they went big again with Diedrich Lawson and uh, Azabuki before Azabuki got injured. And then the question was, people were like, well, they struggled with um, an offense the last few years uh, when they had two bigs and they were a little bit better when they had uh, only one big. Would they go back to one big, even though the personnel seemed to say they should go with two bigs? And, you know, I guess Anaruna is kind of in between. Like, he's six eight, two hundred. That seems like something between a big and a wing, um, certainly a wing at the NBA level if you're 200 pounds. So he hasn't gone with McCormick and Azabuki together as much, although the two are combined playing more than a game together, and D'Souza added on to that. But um, I guess what do you think about the rotation and his decision on whether to use two bigs or one big and how much it will uh, Obviously, the, the defense, defense you can't really argue with so far. I'm a little worried about the offense just because Azubuki is such a liability with the free throws um, down the stretch. Um, and, I mean, the shooters on that 2018 team with Mahalik, Malik Newman, Devontae Graham, uh, LeGerald Vick, those were amazing shooters. They don't have that quality of shooting last year. and that really, This year and last year, certainly last year, and it really showed in the tournament. They played Auburn who just could not miss threes, and they just didn't have the guns to... Uh, stay with them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, the the Jeff Withy era of Kansas with the high-low game, uh, that's really what Bill Self wants to play. I feel like that defines his style, but he's proven willing to adapt. Now, obviously, he would have taken a really crazy person not to adapt with the team he had that made the Final Four uh, two years ago, just the way that team was built. Um, but this team's kind of like a balance between that team and the year and uh, last year's team, which just did not have the shooting at all. Um, Malik Newman's a very good defender on the. I'm mean, sorry, Mar- Marcus Garrett is a very good defender on the perimeter. His shot is very inconsistent. He kind of went through a streak last year where his just offensive game took off, but I'm still not sold on him. And of course, Oche Abaji is a another very talented, very athletic player uh, whose shooting goes up and down. So it's nice to see McCormick kind of step up. Uh, he was a little bit disappointed as a freshman last year. He was a McDonald's All-American um, to back up Azubuke. Um, but really, Dotson is probably the best player on this team, and we'll see how they get the uh, contributions from their team. I think Bill Self's just kind of 
kind of just go and see and mold with go mold on the go with this team and see what happens. But um, of course, you know anything can change. As we can get hurt again, a lot of things could happen. So it's I feel like it's a little more balanced. But I don't, also wouldn't hate a team that was just four out like they were two years ago. That was a really fun team to watch and a really good team. They ran into a total buzzsaw in Villanova, but they were a very talented and very good basketball team. Yeah, interesting that uh, Isaiah Moss, who's one of their better shooters, uh, last year shot 42% on 114 attempts at Iowa and is shooting 40% on 20 attempts in the early season so far, has played more and more as the season has gone on. Though he played 36 minutes against Dayton, he only shot the ball once, a missed three-pointer, a usage rating of just 2%. Um, in previous games, he had shot three or four against Shaman, one or five against BYU, five or six against Monmouth. Uh, so he's clearly there as kind of like a three and D wing um, to help balance out the fact that, as you noted in looking at the stats, uh, there aren't. Uh, Abaji, I, I probably is a good shooter, but he's only 20% this year. Maybe he's not a good shooter. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but Devin Dotson is, is just okay as a shooter. And um, yeah, this is truly going to be a test, I think, of. Well, Dawson shot 36% last year, but this is not a, maybe even a worse shooting team than last year's team. Is that possible? Well, I'm looking at last year's team. Like they had last year, Quentin Grimes, 54 threes, and the Joel Vic Br- wasn't Vic on the team. So yeah. I mean, by the end of the say. season, of course, Vic. Yeah. And Dedrick Lawson. Yeah. Maybe made 39% we'll of see. His they only shot 11 threes, threes so. made four of them against Dayton. Dayton shot 33 three times as many, which is crazy. Yeah. Last year, Kansas was. 275th in the country in three-point attempts uh, per field goal attempt at 34.9 three-point attempts per 100 field goal attempts and made 35%. This year, they're at 30.9 per 100 and are making 34.3%. Um, 295th in the country and uh, the proportion of shots they take there are three-pointers. But th- you know that they're actually allowing the second most That's, That is unlike Pilsel. Pilsel doesn't usually play the three-point lottery. He tries to run the teams up the line, so that's very interesting to see. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, there are more teams. There are three forty-fourth. There, there are like okay. seven. There are like eight teams. I mean, Dayton. I mean, that also is a little skewed yeah. by the fact that they played Dayton, which just shot thirty-three threes. But I mean, Kansas to to hold a team that leads the NCAA and two-point field goal percentage to hold them to eleven of twenty-nine from two. That's very good defense. So, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. The last three years, uh, self spend a lot, but a little bit less uh, adept at running teams off the line. Prior to that, they had been changes pretty his good at it. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's not a system coach, as they say. Uh, so Michigan wins a battle for Atlantis uh, the day <laughs> before they got blown up by Ohio State in football again. Um, they're now up to, as you mentioned, 10th in Ken Palm. Uh, that's the other big tournament of the week. And it had a better field than the uh, Maui Invitational, especially, well, Regardless of the field, it, it was what was about to happen. The field was better, and then when Michigan State lost the first game, it affected it as well. Um, they knocked off Iowa State, and then North Carolina, and then Gonzaga by seven, nine, and eight, or eighteen over Gonzaga, which is kind of a crazy number. Um, we talked about it a little bit before. It's impressive. Um, you know, Michigan returned some good players. They returned Xavier Simpson, John Teske, Isaiah Livers. Um, but what, that last year's team lost. I mean, many thought they could have been a top-five team if they got everyone back, maybe even number one in the country. But Ignis Brasdikis left after his freshman year, kind of surprisingly, um, because he wasn't he didn't come in as a huge recruit, but he was an older freshman. Jordan Poole left after his sophomore year, which was not 
all that surprising, but still not a player that typically you would think would leave. He graduated, um, yeah. And then Charles Matthews is a senior. And and so, and they lost their coach, and they lost a defensive coordinator. Uh, Luke Yaklich went to Texas. John Beeline went to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And yet you look up with a new coach, and Juwan, Juwan Howard has gotten Xavier Simpson to play. Maybe he's one of the best players in the country, I would say, this year so far. Number one assist rate. Um, and a really good offensive rating with high high usage. John Teske's been great again. Isaiah Livers has had kind of a, a breakout season. And this is even without Mo, Mo Wagner's brother, um, who is, I think Fritz is named, Fritz Wagner, who's injured and will be coming back presumably at some point this season. And now they have sets them up for a really interesting Yeah, they've had, a, first of all, the they have a very challenge. big stretch coming up still. Like They're in the middle of uh, six A games and a B game in seven straight games they have they beat iowa state they beat carolina they beat gonzaga all convincingly and then they go to louisville uh to play in what is probably the best game in the acc big 10 challenge now that uh duke's got some injuries and michigan state looks underwhelming then they host iowa then they go to illinois which is another a game and they host oregon uh in a random noon game on december 14th uh so we will learn a lot more about them i mean if they're going to get through this stretch here they're probably going to be Nine and two, which is pretty crazy given that schedule with wins over Carolina, Gonzaga, and then Illinois, Oregon, Iowa, two of those three teams probably. Like, that's pretty impressive. And not only did they lose uh, Beeline, but they lost him late in the game. He was a surprise departure. Uh, Juwan Howard comes in. We don't know how his recruiting is effective. The defense hasn't seemed to uh, miss too many beats. They're 12th in the country and adjusted efficiency. Uh, give him full credit uh, for doing this. And this team that was not – I mean, this team was obviously underrated by – uh, the uh, AP voters. There was, I think, only one player, one one person voted them in the top 25, and now they're in the top five, I believe, in the AP poll. Um, so it's been a crazy uh, situation for them. Uh, but full credit. I mean, this was not an unimpro- This was not like a like Kansas had a fortunate draw in the uh, in the Maui and, uh, Invitational and did not beat anyone nearly as good as uh, Michigan beat in either the semifinal or the final. So full credit to uh, to Jawan Howard and Michigan for winning this tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one update. Franz Wagner did make his season debut in the Battle for Atlantis. Um, he played a lot of minutes. Wasn't He was fine, not exceptional, but uh, he should end up being one of the best players in the team. Uh, Franz Wagner, Mo Wagner, the Washington Wizards player's brother. Um, and, I mean, the defense, certainly Yaklich uh, was, uh, uh, helped this team become very good at defense, but personnel-wise, too, Xavier Simpson's one of the best defensive point guards in the country. John Teske's probably one of the best defensive centers in the country. Isaiah Livers, previous to this season, was known for his uh, his defense, primarily as like a, a 3 and D guy. And this year he's turned into like a higher usage player as well and maintained the efficiency while knocking down more than half his threes. So they definitely have the personnel. Now they have Franz Wagner back. Um, and yeah, I, I'm... I am surprised, I have to say. I thought that this would be, with a new coach who hadn't coached in college, I thought Michigan would have been middle of the pack in the Big Ten. It's a very good Big Ten, um, and they still might end up being middle of the pack because it's how good the conference is. But right now, they, they should be in your top four, probably, along with Michigan State, Ohio State, and Maryland. And I believe that the Big Ten has four of the top 11 teams in the um, in the AP poll, and they have five of the top 13 So this teams is the biggest the, loss um, for Gonzaga since 2014. They lost by... 18 points. The last team, the last time they lost by more was a 23-point loss in the NCAA tournament. Do you know who they lost to? 
Okay, so they yes. had a 20... The last time they lost by more than 18 points... Correct. ...was a 23-point loss in the NCAA tournament. The, in, yeah, I'll tell you, it was the 2014 It was the 4-2014, is that what you're saying? The 2014 NCAA tournament. Okay, let me think about that tournament for a second. Uh, that was the year that Louisville... No, Louisville was 2013. 2014 was UConn. Ugh, exactly. Ugh, UConn. Um, ugh, yeah. Uh, Gonzaga nope. lost to Ohio State? Nope. The team they lost to, I'll give you a hint. This will um, kind of triangulate where this team lost. The team they lost to lost in overtime in the regional final. The team that they lost to lost in overtime in the regional final. So the the national semifinals that year were UConn yep. over um, Florida. Yep. And Gonzaga lost to Arizona, correct. Oh, which they lost, lost to Wisconsin Arizona. in overtime in the right. regional final. So yeah, yeah, yeah 84-61, yeah. that was actually a down year yeah. for Gonzaga. They were an eight seed, uh, yep. and they lost by 23, 84-61. So, yeah, good job. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I mean, it was pretty, yeah, pretty loaded field. UNC lost to Michigan and did bounce back and beat Oregon. Um, so I think we, I mean, are we a little worried about Gonzaga? Are we a little worried about Carolina? Like, what are we just, just giving it, giving full credit to Michigan uh, for playing, uh, playing well this tournament? Like, what, what do we think about Gonzaga so far? Ninth and Ken Palm, just a kind of a disappointing loss for them to lose in that fashion uh, to Michigan, and they have not. They beat Oregon in overtime the night before, so. Yeah, Killian Tilly um, played really well against Michigan, um, but the rest of the team didn't really step up. Philip Petrosev, who's supposed to be a potential NBA player, went three for fifteen on two pointers, uh, which is really bad. Um, and Joel Iai, who's been one of the breakout players uh, for them this season, uh, was not particularly good either. Um, Admon Gilder, the transfer from Texas A&M, didn't play all that well. Um, yeah, this is. They only scored a point per possession also against Oregon. You know, their offense had been dominant the whole season, scoring, uh, except for the game against UT Arlington, where they scored 72 points in one possession, really scoring well above a point per possession. But now you look at it, in the last two games against their two best opponents, they were held to exactly a point per possession against Oregon and had held under it by Michigan. And you wonder whether there's some sort of flaw. Maybe it's two-point shooting inside. Maybe it's... I don't know. It's it's hard to say in just two games what is the flaw, but they only shot twenty fifty three on twos against uh, against Michigan, and then uh, against Oregon they were only fifteen of thirty four. So I, I I'd say that coming to the season I didn't think Gonzaga was going to be like a Final Four contender, but they did play really well against mediocre competition to start the season and. Uh, Gonzaga I guess maybe just the style that they just dominate worse teams and uh, they struggled. I wouldn't say struggled against Oregon, but they barely won. The Oregon Seton Hall game is a game I actually spent a lot of time watching on uh, on Wednesday. This is what I think Seton Hall really is. They're they're exciting. Yes, they play ridiculous games. Miles Powell does ridiculous things, but ultimately, um, I'm not sure that they have a team that can consistently uh, has has the depth of scoring options to play with uh, a team like Oregon. Uh, Cedric Mamakelishvili is decent, 
you know, but be, behind him, uh, you know, Quincy McKnight, Miles Kale, Jared Roden, like they're fine, but it seems like you they really need Miles Powell to be ridiculous to win big games. Or at least that's how they've played this year. Maybe that's not how they should be playing. But against Michigan State, he had a great game, and they lost by three. Against Oregon, he had a great game, and they lost by two. In both those games, Seton Hall had the leads pretty late in the game. If you look at the uh, the game flow on Ken Palm, um, Seton Hall was up by f- um, 17, it looks like, um, after a 21-2 to run against Oregon with about 17 minutes to go, and they were up again by uh, 10 with less than seven minutes to go and lost. And then against Michigan State, it wasn't quite that bad, but um, but they did at, at one point have a 71-66 lead with about two minutes to go and ended up losing that game by three. Um, late game execution down the stretch has not been great. They haven't been able to get big stops on the stretch. Um, and it's just another example of a, of a Big East team that hasn't been able to come up with big wins. Um, yeah, Seton good, but I th- like this is one team that I'm comfortable with. It's a brutal loss for Seton Hall to like Oregon. They so go on a 21-2 run. They really take control of the game across halftime. And they give them a 16-3 run. Then they bounce back, take a 67-59 lead, and then they uh, – or it actually looks like 67-57 lead, and then uh, Oregon closes the game with a 14-2 run. That's just brutal. You can't – I mean, that really shouldn't happen. So – uh, yeah, tough uh, tough way to go for Seton Hall. Uh, more of the same from the Big East. Gonzaga, by the way, just to, we'll get a little bit more uh, body of work for them, and then it'll be um, uh, we'll be on uh, we'll wait till March to see them get tested again. Truly, uh, they play Texas Southern, no big deal at home, uh, and then they travel to Washington on Sunday, December eighth, which is this coming Sunday, to play Washington. Then they play Arizona on the road a week from. This coming Saturday on the 14th, and they host North Carolina in the rematch of that crazy up-and-down game they lost last year. Like, I think it was 103-90 they lost. Um, so this time the game is in Spokane, so we'll see uh, how North Carolina handles that. But then they really don't play an A game until February, I think, at St. Mary. Then BYU they have in uh, the 22nd, and that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of UNC, um, UNC does have a big game this week against Ohio State. Probably the other big game in the biggest game in the Big Ten AC Challenge, go along with Louisville, Maryland. That game is in Chapel Hill. Um, North Carolina is has not been shooting well this year. They are 312th in the country in taking threes and 256th in the country in making threes, which means that only about 45 teams in the country get less of their points, fewer of their points from three-pointers than North Carolina does. And their two-point shooting for a team that you think would be dominant inside has not been good either. A lot of this is Cole Anthony, who has been great this year. Huge amount of uh, possessions that he's taken and a huge amount of the burden for the North Carolina team. He's third in the the Ken Palm Player of the Year rankings, but he's only 42% on two-pointers this year. Um, And that's really not great. Um, Christian Keeling, the other back, the other guard for uh, the the transfer from Charleston Southern, he's only 38% on two pointers. So both of their guards are struggling to finish inside. And uh, in Leaky Black, who's their other starter, is only nine for 29. That's 31% on two pointers. So I don't know if this is going to be a trend or if this is going to be a trouble for North Carolina making twos because they're not making threes, and that probably won't change. Um, Although. Like right now, the only player in their starting lineup with more than four made three pointers is Cole Anthony with 17. There's two bench guys, Justin Pierce and Brandon Robinson, that have six each. So the offense seems to be 
somewhat of an issue, although they're dominant on the offensive glass, third in the country there, led by um, Justin Pierce again and Armando Baycott um, on the glass. Uh, the defense is also 18th in the country. They haven't really forced many turnovers, but they've been pretty solid everywhere else. Um, yeah, I, this is North Carolina team that I'm trying to think of where I had them in the preseason. I think I had them like seventh or fifth, uh, something like in the five to seven range. Um, maybe that seems a little bit high right now. Yeah, Leaky Black in the nearly invisible level, section of the right Ken Palm page for uh, the Tar Heels. Uh, but we'll see how much they have behind Anthony. It's a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, questionable here i mean these are guys that they didn't really, i mean this is a team that they normally bring back a lot of guys and they just didn't do it this year and i mean we had um we talked about black who didn't play that much this last year garrison brooks now being asked to take a, a bigger role so we'll see how uh how things shake out for uh, roy williams they also have virginia on sunday in another acc game uh yeah, so back-to-back. They play the fourth and third-ranked teams wow. in Ken Palm back-to-back, and then they have a game against Wofford, who I believe beat them last year, and Gonzaga on the road. So, And then they have UCLA and Las Vegas, which should be much easier than you would think based on the name brands of those teams. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at uh, Wa- for Wofford here. They, they beat Wofford. It was a good game, but they won at Wofford to start the season. Uh, on Wofford's trek from becoming starting the year at 121 and end up finishing the year at yeah. number uh, 18 in the country, uh, yeah. which is a huge uh, The other Wofford. half of, uh, what is it, Tobacco Road was Duke playing Stephen F. Austin at home, ho-hum affair, and Stephen F. Austin won that game in overtime. Uh, kind of a crazy ending to the game. Now, my friend, I'm not going to name any names, but he went to North Carolina. He's married into a family that has a lot of Duke alums and he went to uh, the game and he texted me how he's going to have to go to the game he's like obviously Duke's going to win if somehow he said if somehow if Stephen F. Austin wins he's going to have to uh, keep control of himself so he sent me a great video of Stephen F. Austin celebrating after the uh, Nathan Bain layup at the buzzer and then he like moves the camera toward himself and makes a very surprised face you know like open open opens his mouth but keeps his lips together that kind of face so very happy uh for him in uh you like how do you whoa, 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 whoa. Like, how do you, you open your mouth surprise like a surprise together. thing where you lower your jaw i should say lower your jaw but keep your lips together yeah 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 oh, okay. okay i right. see i you know I, mean. I, well, I see like tom that. on Maybe video it's not so completely close enough. Easy, anyway yeah, yeah. Stephen F. Austin. Yeah, okay, I'm glad you know I'm talking about. I, I can see uh, this person making that face too, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, crazy game. I mean, this makes which is a bigger upset? I guess is this bigger than Evansville over Kentucky in Kentucky? I mean, Stephen F. Austin entered the game in the mid 200s in Ken Palm. Uh, just a crazy way for it to go down. Uh, by the way, Nathan Bain did dribble, double dribble. I don't want to ruin anyone's day, but he pretty clearly double dribbled. Uh, but that's a tough one for uh, Duke to lose, and Duke's been kind of underwhelming uh, so far this season. So first of all, full credit to Stephen F. Austin. Second of all, uh, how worried should we be if you're a Duke fan right now? Well, it's a it's a bad matchup in a sense, I guess, because Duke struggles to not turn the ball over, and Stephen F. Austin is first in the country at forcing turnovers. Trey Jones, you think you would think, okay, the Duke has a for them a veteran sophomore point guard who's supposed to be a good uh, floor general. It's a lot. He had eight turnovers. That's that's kind of inexcusable. Um, 
and and Duke is now one. <laughs> is this one eighty six? Maybe I need glasses. One eighty sixth in the country in turnover percentage, um, and Trey Jones is now at twenty one percent, which is pretty high. Um, so that really tanked their offense. Uh, there's a stat called like effective possessions, which is like how much do you score when you don't turn it over when you get a shot at the goal. And based on the fact that Duke had twenty two turnovers, uh, I would think their effective possession. Let's see, would be. 62 possessions and 83 points. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's like 1.3 points per possession when they actually get a shot at the goal. But they didn't get a shot at the, at the goal uh, 26% of the time, and that's why they lost. Um, this has been a very balanced Duke team this year with multiple players uh, averaging double figures and no one really taking a uh, huge percentage of shots. In this game, it was an overtime game, but four players scored between 15 and 20, and then Wendell Moore scored nine. Um, if you look at their distribution of possessions we still see Vernon Carey with a huge proportion of percentages 28.8% um, and he's fifth in the Ken Palm player of the year rankings by comparison Zion Williamson was 28.3% <laughs> possessions last year you know. of course he was second in the team to RJ Barrett but um, but it's still less than what Vernon Carey uh, has taken on this year um, yeah and this is a you know big picture we zoom out even the discussions we've been having Michigan State loses Virginia Tech Virginia looks really good in some ways, but is 90th in the country in offense. Number four in Kempom is Ohio State, like which has not really been a top team in years. Um, Louisville is number two, and though they should be quite good, they haven't really they haven't beaten anyone in the top 88 or well, top 87, I guess, because Miami is 88 this year. Look at number five, Duke losing Stephen F. Austin at home. Kansas has looked pretty good. This year, just won the, the the tournament in Maui, but also lost to Duke in a game where they turned it over a lot. Number seven in Kempom is Kentucky, lost at home to um, Evansville. Number eight is Maryland. Do we really trust 8-0 Maryland uh, in the Bitonacy Challenge? I think they're coming up next in our discussion anyway. They play Notre Dame. They just won a tournament in Orlando where they beat Temple, Harvard, and Marquette back-to-back-to-back, including a 21-point win over Marquette. You're closing out the top 10. Gonzaga is 8-1, and one, but had that bad loss to Michigan. Michigan's number 10. They weren't even in the top 25 start of the season. Baylor's 11. North Carolina's 12 with a bad loss. Purdue has three losses at 13. You know, like, the, this is a year where it feels like the top teams are not quite as good as they have been in the recent past. And you look at the top team in just efficiency, Michigan State at 26.79. Um, we haven't had a team with that low at the top, maybe ever in Ken Palm. I mean, I know it's early, and, and someone will probably break away and get a higher rating, but I, I'm looking yeah. back year by year. I don't see any Think number about one team how, finishing the season. Far and away it, better Virginia was last year. I mean, this, look, every team has its blemishes. Every team, oh, not and its faults. Every team has its blemishes. Duke did let this game, what's crazy is they let this game 33-18, 10 minutes into the game. So you think Stephen F. Austin might just like shut it down or not do anything, but they really battled back. They trailed almost the entire game. Uh, it was 51-44 in the second half. Uh, it was 60-54, about 10 minutes to go in the game. Uh, and then uh, this team in F. Austin made their run. Their defense is very good. Duke had a lot of turnovers, as you said. Um, we'll see. Duke also, uh, then they bounced back and beat Winthrop on Friday. Uh, 80, that game was on Tuesday. Then they beat Winthrop 83-70. Uh, but now they're going to be out without Cassius Stanley, one of their probably three or four best players, for probably about a month. Uh, with the hamstring injury, it was announced as a knee injury by the Duke Twitter account, but mm. then Coach K corrected it too. A hamstring injury. Um, they go to Michigan State uh, to Tuesday night uh, to play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, a rare non-conference road game for uh, Duke. Uh, by the way, let's just I want to go back to one thing that was in pretty much every article about the Stephen F. Austin uh, 
game. It was like the Duke's first non-conference home loss and blah, 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 blah. Do you know how many good teams they play at home every year? Maybe out of conference, maybe one or two tops. Here's their non-conference home schedule this year. Colorado State, Central Arkansas, Georgia State, Cal, who stinks, and they knew we were going to stink. I see a neutral game. Sorry, neutral. Yeah, Georgia State, Winthrop, Wofford, well, Cal is a neutral, Brown, yeah. and that's it. That's their non-conference schedule for this year. So they should win every game this year. This is a top 10 team. They're playing teams in the 200s. The next best team they played at home is 122nd is Colorado State. So the idea that like, oh, this non-conference home win streak is snapped. Yeah, not a, not as big a deal as everyone made it seem. I know it's 30 years, but still, it doesn't. The way Duke schedules. Yeah. Yeah. Gen- yeah. Generally, their toughest non-conference home game will be every other year in the Big Ten C Challenge. If you look, but then they've gotten some weird matchups recently. Play- Last year, they played a bad Indiana team and won by 21. Two years prior to that, they played. Sometimes Michigan they play State St. John's and home. St. John's has stunk for years, so I really, I'm not gonna go crazy with the. I mean, you compare it to Kansas's. Yeah. They've played Villanova at home. They play Stanford at home, and Stanford almost beat them. Um, who? Arizona State beat them, so like they've had some tougher uh, Arizona games State. at home. Now, obviously, they also they also play like East Tennessee State, and Monmouth, and UNC Greensboro. Um, and this year, actually, most of their I know so they they end up playing Kentucky. It seems in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge when they don't play Kentucky in the uh, Champions Classic. But I don't know. Duke is not. Let's just say Duke is not rolling out the welcome mat for like top non-conference teams to come to uh, their arena or indoor stadium, as they call it. All right, you want to talk Maryland and then pick, yeah. uh, we'll yeah. look ahead to some other games? Yeah. Yeah, Maryland kind of fell into that Mike White Florida category for me. It's like, how much do you trust yeah, Mark trust Go- uh, Mark Turgeon? I was going to say Mark Godfrey. You shouldn't trust Mark Godfrey at all. But, yeah, Mark Turgeon. Um, but he has a veteran point guard in Anthony Cowan. He's had a great season to date. Jalen Smith has had a very good season as well. Stick Smith, they call him. And then they have good players around them. Eric Ayala, um, Aaron Wiggins has not been particularly good this year, but um, they're now 8-0. And in this tournament, we as I mentioned they beat Temple, Harvard, and Marquette, including Marquette by 21, a game where they held Marcus Howard to uh, 1 of 12 shooting and only 6 points, um, which is probably one of his worst games he's going to have this year. This is coming in after Marcus Howard had just scored yeah. um, 52 and 42 in his previous two games against Davidson and USC. Yeah, so right now Mark Maryland's eighth in Ken Palm, sixth in offense, 26th in defense. If you look at Mark Turgeon's career, um, the highest he's been in Ken Palm at the end of a season was at Texas A&M when he was 16th in 2010. That was his next to last season there. And he didn't get past this the second round. He hasn't been to he's been the Sweet Sixteen twice, and that was 2006 at Wichita State and it's 2016 like at Maryland. Um, so definitely, yeah. There's not uh, the body of work is not there for someone who's going to make a deep run. But Maryland is like a top five team, I think, Associated Press poll or somewhere around there. They're eight and zero, uh, and they have another winnable game coming against Notre Dame. I guess the question is, do you? Do you trust Maryland? I know we don't have our twenty top twenty five top twenty five rankings this week, but uh, would you put Maryland? I would in say your probably top, not. Uh, even your top I'm ten. I'm super right impressed now. with their schedule so far. They were actually trailing this Harvard team fifty one forty four with about twelve minutes to go in the game. Um, a very good win against Marquette. Um, I did not see the game on Sunday, so I couldn't tell you whether how effective they were against 
uh, um, Howard shooting or whether it was just a um, just an off night uh, for him. Uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens with uh, Maryland and the Big Ten. The Big Ten's pretty tough. And I don't think, I think Michigan State's going to get better. I still would put, obviously, Louisville. I mean, I don't see, like, which of these teams in the top 10 am I going to, I mean, I guess, I don't know. If, if they're not in the top 10, who is? Because uh, I think I'd still pick Baylor, over, I mean, North Carolina over them. But there are not that many other teams outside, like in the 11 through 20. The 11 through 20 right now in Ken Palm is Baylor, who's been very good and dangerous, but still not really uh, like clearly better than Maryland. Carolina, Purdue, which has been disappointing, four and three, a three-loss team at 12, a 13th in Ken Palm. Auburn, seven and zero. Uh, we still a little suspicious of Bruce Pearl. Florida State has been very good. They had a big win over the weekend in the tournament. I forget which tournament it was, but they won down there. They've been kind of under the radar, good this year. Seton Hall, we talked about. Oregon, we talked about Villanova. We haven't talked about this show, but we've talked about their struggles before. Arizona and Butler. So Arizona's nine and zero. So I don't know. I guess you could say that Maryland versus Arizona, there's not that big a difference, but it's tough to say. I would say they're right on the right on the cusp of. They're between like eight and twelve right now, probably in the if I did a top twenty-five. Yeah. Yeah, Butler. Yeah, they're Butler seven and zero. It's kind of strange that they have done so well this year. I th- I thought that they would struggle, but uh, Kamar Baldwin has been terrific, and so has Bryce Golden. Uh, a sophomore who hardly played at all last year and has been maybe their second best player this year. Uh, Jordan Tucker, the transfer from Duke, has been good for them. And then, um, yeah, they've just been really quite good offensively, especially. Um, they knocked off Stanford and Missouri over the weekend in a tournament in, I think, Kansas City. Uh, they also have wins over Minnesota um, and Wofford. Um, their knockout schedule has not been very good, but it will get better sure. quickly. Uh, we can maybe pivot to what's up, to, what's coming up. I know that you have this listed in there. They play at Mississippi, then home against ba- uh, Florida, then at Baylor over the next uh, week or so. Um, they also have Purdue on a neutral court before jumping into Big East play. Uh, what are you, what are you looking forward to coming up? We have the AC Challenge. We have, uh, I think, yeah, you have Mississippi, Mississippi is on there uh, on, on higher Tuesday fan match night. game right now than Michigan at Louisville. Michigan Louisville is probably the best game in the. ACC Big Ten Challenge. The other candidates are Duke and Michigan State, which obviously looked like it was going to be the best game entering the season, but Duke struggles um, and Michigan State struggles. Kind of taking a little bit of luster off that game. That's still the marquee game as far as the TV time slot goes tomorrow at 9.30. Uh, but Butler, Mississippi is up there, and then uh, you got Michigan, Louisville, and then, of course, the other uh, ACC Big Ten game is Ohio State at UNC on Wednesday. Um so I mean I'm most probably I don't know these are these are it's actually a pretty good week yeah. of college basketball. Uh, Duke Michigan State I will be interested to see because one of those teams is going to have either a third loss or a second loss. Um, I heard some arguments about whether it's more important for Michigan State or Duke. I think it's equally is about the same. I mean obviously Michigan State has some questions but they're banged up too um, and they're going to have a lot of opportunities in the Big Ten. So I really don't think they're going to. I mean I guess if they lose that game they're probably not going to be number one seed right. So. Um, or, Right. Yeah, I guess probably not. I mean, Michigan State's going to lose. They're definitely going to lose games in conference. The uh, conference is too good. I mean, right now they're picked to go 15 and five in conference and 24 and seven overall. 24 and seven is. I know it's going to be a very brutal schedule. Yeah. I, mean, I would be interested to it's going to be tough to get an end number one uh, at 24. Michigan, and seven. they come off that um, big win in Atlanta, so now they have to go on the road to Louisville, to a very hostile place, the Yum Center, with 20,000 plus 
uh, screaming fans and uh, play that game. That'll be an interesting test for them. Um, after they after they've kind. Yeah, we, and we all know <laughs> yeah. Michigan struggles when they yeah. go uh, and play teams. That and then are Purdue red, is a darling of the computers, um, but they've been Scarlet pretty and gray, uh, if you will. I don't know. Yeah. unremarkable this year, and they will play Virginia um, in a tournament rematch. Yeah, it feels like Purdue is like the new Wisconsin in terms of always being rated higher in Ken Palm than they are nationally. Uh, Purdue has the loss at Marquette, which is not you know by 11 Marquette has been or 10 it's not, it's not been great this year they lost to Texas at home which is a loss that looks worse than when it happened and they lost uh, on a neutral court to Florida State in overtime um, Florida State as we, we can mention also they're playing Indiana in the Big Tennessee Challenge uh, at Indiana in what should be an interesting game coming up Tuesday but Florida State had already lost a game to Pittsburgh um, and they also had uh, a couple of narrow wins including barely beating Western Carolina but, um, yeah, Purdue's an interesting team because at 13th, but with three losses, uh, and only one quality win, and that win was over You know what I was shocked to learn today, by the way? Listening uh, to another I, I do wonder what, what Purdue is to... this season. I know. Uh, do you know how old Leonard Hamilton is? What? There are other college basketball podcasts? No, remember I preface this by saying how shocked Leonard I Leonard Hamilton. Let's see if I can guess how old Leonard Hamilton is. Yeah. Well, Larry Hamlin's been in my life for a very okay. long time. Ever since I was like maybe eleven years old, twelve years old, when he was a coach in Miami, he, he, did, he coach, also previously uh, coached uh, Tulsa. Tulsa, and I think he might also but previously coach coached Oklahoma State. State. Uh, he not coach. He not coach Tulsa. Maybe is he under, is he coach at Tulsa. Uh, so I would say that he exactly right is. Wow, that's impressive. Seventy. Yeah, I thought he was younger. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, good for yeah, him. I mean, it did help. Uh, the, the, yeah, I, I definitely shaved a little bit old. And our said, team's but, playing uh, great yeah. after that uh, sluggish start and got some big uh, wins in wherever that tournament was. Disney World, I think. Um, yeah. I think that was the tournament that was like in D-Land, Florida. Like, Jacob DeGrom yeah. went to Stetson, which is, which is in... Uh, he's de- he's which is deaf in from Florida. Let's Florida also, but not in DeLand. Where he is was Stetson born and grew up. In okay, there you go. Yes, yeah, Stetson is in DeLand, Florida. Um, okay, Northwest Florida State is where this was played. Let's see where that is. That is in Niceville, which I, I think is... Maybe near sounds DeLand, like, but maybe it sounds not. like a rejected like Niceville is uh, like Pleasantville, yeah. Like a made that, up name no, for a town, but <laughs> yeah, the land, by the way, nowhere near, uh, n- nowhere near Niceville, but, but you know, yeah, the land is a nice six hour drive <laughs> from Nice. You can almost, I mean, obviously, if you're in Miami, it'd be a longer drive, but uh, there aren't many places, two places you could have picked in a state at random that would be longer drives than uh, Northwest Florida State College and Stetson University. But anyway, um, nonetheless, yeah. that's where uh, the other Purdue, two other, a few other games I just want to mention before we get out of here. Texas Tech at DePaul. Texas Tech lost twice this week. Chris Beard. Uh, exposed as the fraud that he, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but he uh, he's had a, one of his worst worst weeks probably as Texas Tech head coach. They're five and two. Uh, they're playing DePaul, unbeaten DePaul, uh, in a neutral. Uh, sorry, in a true road game. That's on uh, Wednesday. 
Uh, mm -hmm. DePaul is a one-point favorite on Ken Palm. And then Texas Tech has to follow that up uh, a week from tomorrow against again, a week from Tuesday against Louisville. So some tough tests for Chris Beard here. Uh, they come off a loss to Iowa and then an overtime loss to Creighton, uh, two neutral site games there at a tournament over the weekend. So we'll see if Chris Beard can uh, turn his team around uh, with really a critical stretch. And they get a nice three-game break uh, before they start their Big 12 season. Yeah, Texas Tech, um, their offense has been a struggle this year. Um, their yeah. their schedule actually hasn't been very good at all. They have five wins, all against teams outside the top 240, and then they have these two losses to Iowa and Creighton. Um, Jamius Ramsey has had a good season, but uh, he also did not play in Texas Tech's last game, and he's day-to-day -day with a hamstring injury and is questionable against DePaul. Uh, Kyler Edwards has been okay this year, Davide Moretti has been fine, but in limited usage. Chris Clark, the transfer from Virginia Tech, has been solid, but also not in high usage. Um, so maybe they're putting a little bit too much on the freshmen. Uh, and their numbers are all, all look good because the O ratings, at least on Ken Palm, because they have such an easy schedule. The, when they played against uh, Creighton, uh, a bad defensive team, they, bear, they did score a point per possession, but uh, they were allowed well more than that. Uh, Creighton in that game scored 1.15 points per position. They made 10 threes and were also really good inside. Marcus Zagorowski had 20, had 32 points on just 18 field goal attempts. He's the uh, cousin of, um, uh, what's his name? The point guard from Syracuse who no. was a rookie. Michael Carter-Williams. He's like he's a cousin of Michael Carter-Williams. You wouldn't have guessed that based on their names. Uh, but um, So... Um, so we should talk about DePaul, though, because DePaul did um, win their third road game against a major conference team. Uh, I mentioned Iowa, then Boston oh, yeah. College, and now Minnesota winning by five. Um, Charlie Moore, who I know you're familiar with at Kansas, originally at California, he's actually been outstanding for DePaul. Maybe he's found like his true level is like a solid major conference team and not like one of the best in the country like Kansas is. He's been extremely efficient, hitting threes. Uh, with assists as well. Paul Reed is a future pro, probably. He's been their second-best player um, as a 6'9", 220-pound junior. Um, Romeo Weems has been very solid as a freshman. Um, and then defensively, uh, they're actually even better at 54th in the country. They are in the top 40 on both two-point and three-point defense under Dave Leto. Will, will it last? Uh, who can say? We won't know for a little bit longer. But if they can beat Texas Tech... They have them Buffalo at home and Illinois Chicago at home, and then add a terrible Cleveland State team, and then home against a pretty bad Northwestern team. Like, y you could see a 13-0 start, and you could also see them not make the NCAA tournament 13-0 start. Like, I think St. John's was it last year had like a really good start, and they, yeah, they were 12-0 entering yeah. conference play and didn't make the NCAA tournament. You could see a scenario where St. John's is 13-0, where DePaul is 13-0 entering the, um, the the Big E season doesn't make the NCAA tournament. They will have had four good wins if that happens. They will have beaten Texas Tech, Iowa, Boston College, and Minnesota. And so it would have been better than St. John's last year. St. John's only East. beat Rutgers and BCU as their only quality non-conference wins. Same. Uh, I think I'll take the over. Big East is just not very good. Um, yeah, I think I think they'll win. It definitely. I think yeah. eight sounds good, but I think I'll take. If I have to go over or under eight, I'll take the over. 
Let's hit briefly on Providence, who was in the, um, before we maybe sign off. They were in the uh, Wooden Legacy. Um, I was out there in L.A. planning to go see them play Friday morning at 11. Um, but Thursday morning, they blew a huge lead to Long Beach State and lost. Uh, they really were jobbed in terms of the actual result of the game. They deserved to lose in the sense that they gave the game away. But they also, were, it was a terrible call. Like the, Long Beach State had, a, had the ball with down the stretch. Um, down by two, missed a three-pointer. The player landed, kicked his foot out, and and then Emmett Holt tripped over the player's foot, and they called the three-shot foul on Emmett Holt. And the the um, Long Beach State player made all three free throws. Credit to him, but it was a terrible call. And Providence had a massive lead that they basically gave away. They were up by 17 points with about 16 minutes to go. Then blew much of that lead, but still led by. What is this? They still led by eight points with three minutes to go and lost. It's, it's a just a terrible, terrible loss. Then they follow up the next day, and you're like, well, you know, how many aberrations can you have? You play terrible against Northwestern and lose. You play terrible against Penn and lose. You play terrible against LB State and lose. Maybe Charleston, you'll play better. But no, they played really poorly against Charleston. They got to a really fast start in this game. Um, they led at one point 19-6, uh, but they ended up, blowing that entire lead. It was 37-37 in the second half when Charleston went on a 12-1 run and never looked back. Um, Providence was struggling with turnovers. And then against Pepperdine, again, had trouble with turnovers, but they did win, uh, avoiding the last-place finish. Uh, Providence's offense is still looking quite poor as it was last year, uh, despite the fact they have more competent play by Luan Pipkins at point guard and and David Duke as well. Uh, Duke's been quite solid, but... um, they're just not able to be efficient offensively, and the defense is not quite as good last year, I think, in part because they're starting Luan Pickens, who's smaller, Pipkins, who's smaller, and when they're not forcing turnovers, they're giving up a decent percentage um, of both two-pointers and three-pointers. Uh, and they're, hitting, they're getting, sending folks to the line a lot, too, which I probably need to stop. That hasn't been a, a trend under uh, Ed Cooley. Um, the, coming up, they do have their in-state rivalry against University of Rhode Island at University of Rhode Island. Uh, they're one point underdog on Ken Palm. URI has a win against Bama this year, uh, but has losses to close losses to which West Virginia. They lost by 18 to Maryland. They lost by 13 to LSU. Um, it's not a vintage URI team, but certainly good enough to beat Providence. Um, and we're at the point where either Providence is terrible and it doesn't matter, or Providence is still yeah. I'm looking at decent, their uh, in which case they're they also eight and ten projected really in, by Ken Palm in the um, they've lost so many already. to go in the Big East this year, and I'm looking to see what their luck rating is for. They're very unlucky. They're 346th in the country in luck so far this year. So maybe keep your head up there. I mean, can you think of one question I was thinking of asking you today? Is Can you think of a team that Ed Cooley's had where they've had a stretch like this and then turned it around either at the beginning of the season or in the middle of the season? Or they? I feel like Providence is mostly either they're good or they're not good with Cooley, and like there's no real, like, mid-season identity change, but I couldn't remember for sure. I figured you would know for sure. Yeah, well, I, I don't think they've had a season like this, where they've had basically now four wins, four losses in non-conference against non-top 100 teams. I'll do a quick, quick look. Um, so in 2003, they lost to Brown and George Washington uh, out of conference, but they... Uh, they but they, the other two non-conference losses were to top 40 teams, Oklahoma State and South Carolina. In 20, 2003, they lost to both URI and South Florida, which weren't top 100 teams. 
Uh, they also lost at Siena, so maybe that's the next closest parallel. That year's team went to the NIT, at least, and went to 8-8 eight eight in conference under Tim Welsh. 2004, uh, they lost three non-conference, two non-conference games, but uh, neither one was to a non-top 100 team. 2005, they lost four non-conference games, but only one, Winthrop, was a non-top 100 team. And 2006, they lost to URI. That was only that was one of four not top 100 losses. Uh, sorry, non-conference losses. Uh, they lost to Brown in 2007, which is bad, but that's the only one. 2008, they lost to South Carolina, which was not top 100, but and they lost to URI in Miami, which were. 2009 is the Keno Davis era. They lost to Northeastern, Baylor, and St. Mary's and Boston College, but only one of those. Actually, none of those were non top 100. Even Northeastern was a top 100 team. 2012, Ed Cooley's first season, they lost to Iowa State and Northern Iowa, which were both top 100 teams. Um, in 2013, they lost to UMass and Penn State and Boston College and Brown. They, there's your their closest parallel there. Um, UMass was 86th, Penn State was 161, Boston College was 107, and Brown was 232. You could imagine Northwestern getting the top 100 and making something similar to UMass. Then they went 9-9 in conference, and they actually weren't that far from making the NCAA tournament that year. If they had, they lost to UConn in the last game of the conference season. This is in the last year of the old Big East. They lost in overtime at UConn. If they had won that game and then won a game or two in the Big East tournament, they could have made the NCAA tournament. That year's team was incredibly thin, which is part of the reason why they had those early season losses, because they had some injuries. So maybe that's the best parallel. That's seven years ago. Um, since then... They, I'm not sure they've had a non-top 100 loss, but let's quickly look. 2014, oh, 2015, they lost to Boston College and Brown, who weren't top 100. That year's team still went to the NCAA terms of 6 seed. They actually were top, one of the top-rated teams in the country at certain points of the season. Um, 2016, they lost to Michigan State. That was the only one. That was a really good Michigan State team. 2017, Boston College, Virginia, and Ohio State. BC, the only top 100 team. And then 2018, they maintained the tournament despite losing to Minnesota and UMass, which aren't, weren't top 100 teams. So I guess there's a history here under Ed Cooley of kind no, of some bad DePaul, ugly not the good early DePaul. season losses. And even that year's team also lost to DePaul at home um, by 17. That's, it, it, I'm, uh, yeah, but the bad DePaul. I, remember I went home for, for my birthday. It wasn't really my birthday weekend. It was the weekend before. But I went home, and they lost to DePaul by 17. And they came back and made the NCAA tournament, almost won the Big East tournament. They went to the overtime of the biggest tournament losing to eventual national champion Villanova so I, I guess that if you're if you're holding out hope have there been Providence seasons that are somewhat analogous to this one I, I guess yes I just want I just want you to be happy of, Brendan I just feel like you're more into the sport you're more into it's, life it's very ugly so Providence is doing well it's just, right it's, I know how frustrating it is to watch it's just a team yeah. uh meet a team like look like they're like you think they're going to be good and they turn out to be mediocre it's kind of like me and Arsenal this year so uh mm-hmm. I know yeah, yeah. At the Anaheim Convention Center, I believe, is where that tournament was played. Interesting choice. Yeah, and then I also didn't get a chance to watch them on Friday because they <laughs> lost on Thursday. Because they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have been my second drive from Westwood to Anaheim <laughs> during that week, which is not a drive you want to choose to do very often. I was kind of saved from going to see that game they because they lost. You if they I had to get to a wedding. wedding, and the second the game they ended up playing, it's it probably was too for the late best. for me yeah. to to make the yeah. wedding. So, anyway, there you go. All right, speaking of uh, calling it a day, yeah, I think we've done enough. We've talked Florida geography. We've talked California geography. There we've I go, We've taken Tom. a nice tour through every Providence non-conference <laughs> schedule in the Ken Palm era. Thank you. I'm sure listeners, thank you for that. And, uh, yeah, we've previewed some good games, and we have a big week of college basketball coming up with uh, 
the ACC yeah. and Big Ten squaring off, and Michigan can't beat Ohio State in football. So we covered that as well. Yeah, if you don't like this episode, uh, Apple Podcast, and you uh, shouldn't tell your friends about at, it. But if you don't like the episode, why are you listening an hour and you know, 12 minutes? At Come at on. And yeah. Pod. Follow us. Oh, yeah. at Double Bonus Pod, yeah. I don't... <laughs> yeah, at Double Bonus Pod, not yeah. podcast, just so you know. You don't want to follow those those losers, Time. those posers at at Double Bonus Podcast. Don't follow those guys. <laughs> Okay, well, until next time, thanks for listening. Enjoy the Big Tennessee Challenge uh, and enjoy Michigan losing to Ohio State again. Watch the highlights of the A chance for the lead or a tie. They go to the rim. For three, no! Loose ball in the corner. Three seconds to go. Oh, my goodness!